Hey, I want to talk to you today about, I think, a topic that is important. It's, I want to talk to you about anxiety stress relief. And they did a survey with uh, mothers not too long ago and asked mothers, what do you really want? What do you really need? And uh, these were some of the responses of mothers. A sanity check, to know I'm normal, to know that I'm a good mother. Another mother said acceptance, encouragement, support, time, time with my husband, time off, time alone, time with God, patience, more energy, a break, a nap. I love this one, a housekeeper. A secretary, a nanny, what do you need? A dishwasher that loads itself in a vacuum that runs by remote control. Another mother said a vacation, adult conversation, friend, a best friend, someone to understand how I feel, to know that being a mother is important, and lastly, peace of mind. And I want to focus specifically on that peace of mind aspect. You know, there are a lot of people during this season, especially over the last two years, that have really struggled with trying to get peace of mind. We've been in a series entitled, Let's Talk About It. And because oftentimes in the church, we don't necessarily talk about mental health issues, but the Bible actually has a lot to say about mental health issues. There has been an escalation of anxiety, isolation, nervousness, stress, depression, even clinical depression, and oftentimes if not dealt with, if not handled properly, thoughts of suicide, and even attempts of suicide. I mentioned last week that the second highest leading cause of death in this country between uh, people ages to 10 to 34 is suicide. And oftentimes, by the way, some of those that experience this even in a more upfront, deliberate, intense way are mothers. And so we, I want you to know that just because you believe in God and just because you're a Christian, it doesn't absolve you from some of the emotional challenges that people go through. And so I want to free you from having a stigma on your life or on your heart, feeling like I'm struggling, but I'm a Christian, maybe I shouldn't be struggling. Let me say you're human, you're here, and we're glad that you are here today. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to... Luke chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 38 through 42. By the way, as we talk about this topic of anxiety and stress relief, uh, studies show us that uh, right now, currently in America, there are 40 million adults that suffer from anxiety disorders. That means not just having little episodes of anxiety, but an anxiety disorder is that your anxiety and nervousness reaches a stress level that does not allow you to function normally. 
It affects your work, your behavior, your ability to function. 40 million Americans, which means that there are plenty of people in this congregation right now, as I speak, that you are severely struck with anxiety. What happens when we allow anxiety stress to overwhelm us? I think there's a story found in Scripture that's very, very powerful about this very topic. Uh, Jesus was at the home of some friends of his. In fact, these were some of Jesus' closest friends. Uh, Two sisters and one brother. The older sister, Martha, then Mary, and then you may recognize this name, Lazarus. And Jesus would often stop by their house. They were some of his close supporters, some of his friends. If you recall, it was Jesus that uh, came and miraculously raised Lazarus from the dead. And so this was a close family. But there's an incident that happens that reveals to us one of the struggles of one of the sisters that was close to Jesus. I'm reading in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I want to dive into this story because I think this story reveals some important truths about anxiety, worry, and distraction. Uh, First of all, let's talk about what happens when we allow anxiety stress to overwhelm us. Uh, Number one, write this down. It distracts us from being fully present at important moments. The Bible says, but Martha was distracted. It uses that word, distracted. Uh, What does to be distracted mean? To be distracted means that you should have a focus on something, but because you have an inability to stay focused, your attention is diverted to other things. Imagine this. Jesus is in the house, but Martha misses this important moment emotionally. She's not present because she's worried. She's distracted. Can I tell you something about worry and anxiety? Anxiety that produces stress through worry usually focuses on the past, things that we did, mistakes that we've made, things that we cannot change, or it focuses on the future, things that we think are going to go wrong, trials that can occur, tragedy that could occur, The worst case scenario is in the future. It focuses on the past and it focuses on the future, but what it misses is the present. 
Can I tell you something? Some of us miss important moments in life because we are distracted by worry that has gripped us over the past or over the future, but we are not present in the moment. In fact, some of you are missing incredible moments in your life even now because you're so distracted by worry that you've missed the celebration, a moment with your child, a celebration with your husband, a moment of victory in your life. Haven't you all had the experience where some little five-year-old tugs at your skirt or pants and, and says, Mommy, 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 and, and you say, Oh, sorry, honey, I was distracted. I believe that many of us don't live in the present. We're not in the moment. We're not enjoying. We're missing some important moments of life emotionally, mentally, physically because we're distracted by things in the past and we're distracted by things in the future. In fact, you know, you could be here right here on Sunday morning sitting right now in the chair that you're sitting looking up at me from the stage you're physically present, but it, it, you have a hard time focusing because you're worried about stuff in the past. Your mind has been in and out of these doors a hundred different times. You look at me like this, but really your mind is over there, over there in the future. You tried to figure out some problems. You tried to figure out where you're going to go. You tried to figure out the health issues, the, the, the work issues, but it's hard for you just to be fully present here and now. Martha missed the moment that Jesus was in her house. In fact, the Greek word used by distracted is perisipao. It means to be driven about mentally. In other words, bounced about mentally. To be distracted, overoccupied, too busy about a thing. Number two, I'm talking about what happens when we allow anxiety, stress to overwhelm us. It makes us feel disconnected and pulls us into a self-pity cycle. Notice what Martha says to Jesus in verse 40. She says, Lord, don't you care? You see, what happens when, when we get overwhelmed by stress and anxiety... We start to feel like no one understands us. We start to feel like no one really cares like we care. And we start looking around at people around us and feeling like if you're not stressed like I'm stressed, it probably means you don't care. How many of you know that stress likes company? Have you ever been driving in the car and you are super stressed about something? You think your daughter's going to fail out of school and she's not going to pass her exams and, and you don't need, she needs a tutor, she needs help and you're stressed out about it and your husband's just calm there and he says, she's going to be okay, don't worry about it and it aggravates you even more, like you start getting ramped up about it and you start saying, it's got, you don't care, you don't help her with her homework, you don't care about it because you didn't do good at school, but I, because why? Because when we're stressed out, we want everybody around us to be stressed out with us. Stress loves company. And if you feel like they're not stressed out, you want to drag them into your stress. And if they don't get dragged into their stress, you start saying you don't care. 
Martha looks at Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. She looks at her sister, and she says she doesn't care. And then she looks at Jesus and says, Lord, you don't care. Because she's stressed out, and they're not. And because she's stressed out, and they're not, she starts feeling like you don't care. Stress makes us disconnected with people around us. It makes us start to feel separate from people that aren't in our cycle of worry. And it starts to throw us into a cycle of self-pity. Lord, you don't care. Implicit is I'm judging your character, but explicitly is you don't care about what I'm going through. And so let me tell you this. If you're stressed out right now, if you're going through a time of nervousness, if you're anxious about things, chances are that you start to feel like the people close to you don't care about you, don't understand you. It makes you feel isolated. It makes you feel lonely. It makes you feel like um, you're the only person in the world that fully understands your problems and no one else understands you. And that isolation makes you feel more and more lonely, disconnected from people. And then you start going down a cycle of self-pity. No one cares. No one knows. No one asks. No one really, really feels the way I do. And that leads you to a place oftentimes of losing hope. I'm talking about what stress and anxiety does to us mentally. Number three, not only does it distract us from being fully present, it makes us feel disconnected and pulls us into a cycle of self-pity. Number three, it generates anger towards the people that are closest to us. Martha then goes on and says, my sister has left me to do the work all by myself. Tell her to help me. I can almost hear the aggravation in her voice, the anger starting to rise out of her as she's stressed and overwhelmed. And in her state of being stressed and overwhelmed, she starts to get angry, and her anger starts to spill out at the people around her. Let me tell you something about anger. When you get angry and you're walking around with anger, you are just looking for a place to release that anger. You get in a fight on the way to church, you're angry, you walk in here in a huff, and the usher says, please sit here. And you say, in the back, you're going to make me sit in the back? <laughs> the usher walks you to the front. I don't want to sit in the front. The pastor's going to spit on me. <laughs> and when you're angry, you're looking. You're looking for somewhere to just deposit your anger. Someone cuts you off, and it's almost you're glad because you just explode at them. Someone looks at you the wrong way and anger comes out at them. Because when you're walking angry, you, you're looking for a valve for that anger to be released towards someone or something in your life. Martha was stressed. Her stress had led her to be overloaded. Her being overloaded had led her to anger. And usually, listen to me, this is really important, look at me. 
Usually the people that are the recipients the most of our anger are the people that are closest to us. It's your family, your spouse, your kids, your sister, your mother, your mother-in-law. <laughs> Number four, I'm talking about what anxiety, stress does to our life. Number four, it creates a chain reaction that spills into many areas of our life. Notice what Jesus says to Martha in verse 41. He says, Martha, Martha. How many of you know when your name is repeated twice, you know something's good coming, right? It's usually like a sigh. It's usually like, ah, Martha, Martha. Like, do we have to go over this again? Really, Martha? Martha, Martha. And then Jesus says, listen, you are worried and upset, here's the key, about many things. Now, he uses two different words there. One is the word worried, which um, in the Greek implies anxiety and being overcome with burden. And then he uses the word upset, which means disquieted, troubled in her mind. These are two separate words that Jesus uses to describe Martha, but one is worried, you're anxious, and the two is you are upset. Your anxiety and worry has lead you to be disquieted and upset in how you function. Now, it appears that there's just one problem in her life. It appears from Martha's perspective that her problem is her sister Mary because Mary is not helping her when she feels stressed. Jesus points out the reality, and he says, you are worried and upset about many things. You see, what Jesus knew about Martha is that this incident with Mary is just the tip of the iceberg, but that Martha was upset and living a life full of stress and worry, and she was upset about a lot of things in life. Let me tell you something about worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety cannot be contained just to one thing. Worry and anxiety spills over into multiple areas of life. When you start worrying, here's the way it works. You have a little bit of a back problem. Your back, you, you wake up one day and your back's hurting a little bit. And you do probably what you shouldn't do. You Google MedMD, and you, you look up back pain, and you start discovering cancer, liver issues, and you start looking down, and it's just a back pain, but by the time you're done, you're like, take me to the emergency room right now, because you look up all the strange diseases you could get from a back pain, and you start seeing all these, and you know, there's a virus in Africa that's made its way into this country, and it starts in the back, it goes to the head, it causes this, and you start looking, how many of you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, how many of you do that? You start looking up the symptoms, and, and you just like, hey, I know it's gonna happen to me, I know it's gonna happen to me. Some of you are borderline uh, hypochondriacs, you know, every little thing. 
you know, your toe hurts and you look up that there's some bugs that get in your toe and in your toenail. They can make their way up your leg and into your heart and cause a heart attack. And the doctor just tells you it's an ingrown toenail. Breathe deep. It's not life-threatening. But the thing about anxiety and worry is that you cannot contain it to one area of life. You start worrying about your health, but what happens is anxiety starts to take over your body and you start worrying about your health, but it spills over then into the economy and it spills over into your job uh, security and it spills over into how your children are doing and then it spills over into um, violence in the city of Chicago and it spills over into uh, are your kids safe and how are they doing and pretty soon you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep because your mind is racing and, and, and your spouse asks you what, are you, what are you worried about? I don't know, my mind is racing over a lot of things. Why? Because worry cannot be contained. Worry is an emotion that spills over into every area of life. And before you know it, you are worried and anxious about a lot of things in life. Not just about one thing, but about a lot of things in life are overcoming you. And let me just say this about anxiety and worry. God never engineered you or created you to live long periods of time dealing with intense anxiety or worry. Doctors will tell us this, that your thinking, your emotional well-being, it has a direct effect on your body. Doctors call it psychosomatic illnesses. In other words, it starts in your head, but it has a direct effect on your body. Do you know, for example, that if you worry quite a bit and are anxious, that you can get ulcers? Because worry generates a certain chemical in your body that affects your intestine and your stomach starts to hurting, hurting and there's extra acid that you don't really need released in your body and it can eat away at sections of your intestine and create ulcers and it creates problems. It has nothing to do with your diet. It has to do with your worry and your body's reacting to your worry. Do you realize that you can have high blood pressure, hypertension because of worry? Your body is reacting to stress-induced um, stress state, and so your body releases chemicals that should only be released when you're in an emergency or a critical situation, and it constantly releases it into your body, and so you find yourself in a high-tension uh, mode and have high blood pressure because of your thinking that your body's reacting to. This is true of heart disease. It's true of high blood pressure. It's true of uh, many, many illnesses that affect our body because you were never engineered, never created by God to live under constant worry-induced tension. By the way, can I just a little plug here? Studies have also showed, I mentioned it last week, that people actually that believe in God and go to church or religious service on a regular basis, they do better than the general population. In fact, studies tell us, these are secular studies, 
that going to church on a regular basis with a community of, of people is actually good for your mental health. So, what happens when we allow anxiety, stress to overwhelm us? We're not fully present. We miss the moments. We're disconnected. It pulls us into self-pity. It generates anger towards people that are around us. It creates a chain reaction that spills into many areas of life. Jesus goes on to speak to Martha, and I think in this incident, we have this profound, powerful, life-changing insight from Jesus. He says to Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. I want you to see the contrast. You feel like you're dealing with a lot of problems, a lot of issues. Life is complicated. There's a hundred things to be worried about. And so she could look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you don't know how complicated my life is. You don't know how many troubles and stresses and issues they are. And Jesus brings it down to just one thing, one solution. You're worried about a lot of things, he says, but you need to do one thing. Charles Duhigg, who wrote a book on habits and research, probably more than anybody in our generation on habits, he talks about keystone habits. He says there's certain habits in life that as you apply these habits, they actually have a repercussion into a lot of areas of your life. He calls it a, a keystone habit. One habit that can have ripple effects through your whole life. I believe this is a spiritual keystone habit, a habit that if you start to put in practice this habit, it has ripple effects into many areas of your life. So notice what Jesus says, but only one thing is needed. What is that one thing? He points to Mary. And he says, basically, see what Mary's doing right now? This is the one thing, Martha, that you need to start to put in practice. This one thing could change your life. Well, let's zoom in a little bit into what Mary is doing. What is it that Mary's doing? Getting out of house chore work? No, that's not it. What is she doing? She is sitting at the feet of Jesus in a posture of listening, close to Jesus, hearing his words and absorbing everything he has to say. She has found a place that is centered, that is quiet, that is listening, that's affecting her spirit. See, here's the thing, moms, dads, young and old. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that you're composed of a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. 
The body you understand, it's that part of you that you see in the mirror. It's that part of you that aches when you get up in the morning. It's that part of you that you try to lose weight or gain weight. That part of you that takes 45 minutes in front of that mirror to get it just right. It's the physical part of you. But there are, that's easy for us to understand the body. But then there's also the soul and the spirit. The soul part of you is the personality. It involves your thinking, your emotions, and your volition. It involves the part of you that makes decisions, the, how you respond and how you talk and how you think. That's your soul. It's the you, the individually you part of you. And then there's another part of you called the spirit. The spirit is also a an invisible part to the human naked eye, but it's the part of you that connects with the spiritual world. It's the part that connects to God. You are a spirit being. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says that we would be sanctified, set apart unto God, body, soul, and spirit. In other words, God wants you to be affected. The totality of you needs to be in a place that walks in peace and hears God for you not to be overcome by anxiety. And so, here's what happens when you find a quiet place where you are able to hear the Word of God, where you are able to be in front of God in a place of surrender, hearing Him speak to you, in a posture of knowing that He is God, and that you're not. There's something powerful, compelling about this. And let me just break it down quickly for you. What does it do to you? Number one, it helps you release the concerns that you have no control over. Uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 7, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I want you to notice that it says humble yourself first of all. To humble ourselves means that we get in a posture of humility that acknowledges that he is God and we are not. To humble ourselves means that we get into a place where we acknowledge that we don't have control over the universe, over the future, over the economy, ultimately over our health. And we humble ourselves before God and we say, God, there are things that I have no control over and so I take these things, I acknowledge that you are God and I throw these things on you because I know that you care for me. Let me, let me just say something about this. This is very important. Listen, a lot of worry, a lot of worry the birthplace of it is our ability to want to control. And when we cannot control, the only thing that we can do is worry. Moms, can I tell you specifically about you? Some of you were excellent, excellent mothers when your children were young and in your household. Because... Hey, mom, you were in charge. When they went to bed, when they got up, what they ate, what they watched, what they saw, who they talked to, where they were, they were right there, and you were in charge of their life. And you know what? You were pretty good with that. 
But the moment they hit their teenage years, God forbid when they got their driver's license, suddenly you no longer knew exactly where they were at, exactly who they were talking to, and let alone when they got their phone. Boy, then it was like, who you talking to, where you at? And as they got up and got out of the house, then suddenly you don't know who they're hanging with, where they're at, what they're doing. And instead now, what you've defaulted to is just worry. Because you can't control, so you worry. Let me tell you, oftentimes, we, when we have no ability to control things, and we're used to controlling the outcome, we default to worry and anxiety because we cannot control it. And what God is telling us is that the antidote to worry that comes from the inability to control things is to acknowledge, I have no control over a lot in life. And those things that I cannot control, I come to a God who is sovereign and has the ability to oversee all things, and I cast it upon him, and I say, God, I can't control it, but I trust you that you're in charge because you care for me. There's something liberating, releasing, when you come to a God who cares, and you throw your cares on God and say, God, I can't, but you can. Number two, not only does it help you release the concerns that you have no control over. It also helps you put life into a God story perspective. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 62 verse 5 through 6 says, Let all that I am wait quietly before God. For my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. Be still and know that I am God. For some of us, it's really, really hard to be still. How many of you spend a lot of time telling one of your kids, just, just, just be still? My parents used to say, it's like you have ants in your pants. You know, just be still. For some of you, even to come to church and sit and listen, it's hard to be still. Just to be still. To, to quiet yourself and be still because your mind is racing, your heart is going, your mind is going back and forth, and to be still. But here's the thing. It's not just about being quiet. It's, that's only half of the equation. Be still, and in your stillness, acknowledge the fact that God is God. But what does that mean? It means that be still enough in life to stop for a moment and to realize there is a God that is sovereign, which means He has power, rule, and authority over all things. That He's omniscient, which means He knows all things and never has to learn. He's transcendent, which means that He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's omnipotent, which means that He has all power over all things. And most importantly, this God deeply cares for you and loves you. So be still 
and soak in the fact that he is God and that he is in control and that he cares for you. Let your soul relax in the presence of this almighty God who's in control of all things. Not only be still and know that he is God, it puts your life into perspective, but number three, it helps you renew your inner strength. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 says, but they that wait upon the Lord, those that are still before God, those that come into the presence of God like Mary and absorb His presence and His Word and sit in front of them and know that He is God, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. In other words, what Scripture's telling us is if you wait upon the Lord, if you practice the Mary practice, that you will actually be renewing your energy. If I were to ask people to raise their hands here who feel depleted, exhausted, I bet a lot of hands would go up in this place. This has been an intense time. Now, for those of you that are not mechanics, how many mechanics do we have in the house? People that tinker around with cars, you know something about cars, raise your hand. Come on, I want to see you mechanics. I just want to make sure I know I'm describing this well. Okay. So, everybody in this audience typically knows what a battery is. Your car needs the electrical charge of a battery to make it function. But a lot of people don't know what an alternator is. A battery, if it has no alternator, will quickly run out of juice. But what an alternator does is an alternator gives the ability, the, the battery the ability to recharge itself as you run the car. So as your car runs, your battery's being recharged or it wouldn't last long. Listen, did I describe that pretty okay, mechanics? Is that, okay, I, I'm getting thumbs up from mechanics, so I, I got it right here. So let me tell you this. Spiritually speaking, your time, like Mary, in the presence of Jesus, acknowledging that he is God, being quiet and listening to him, that is your spiritual alternator. As you wait upon the Lord, it recharges your spiritual battery. It gives you energy. In fact, Scripture says you rise up like wings of eagle. You run and aren't tired. You walk and don't faint. In other words, you're being recharged because life, hey, how about it? Life is draining. Problems take energy. And if you're not recharged, the day will come where you'll barely be able to get out of bed. That you'll sit there for 10 minutes thinking, now, trying to talk yourself into why you should get out of bed, why it's worth living again. And maybe getting that cup of coffee is your first step to get out of bed, but then you got to talk yourself into why you should get in the car and go to work and why you should get up and take care of your issues. And some of us are so tired and so drained that we can barely function because we need an, a spiritual alternator recharging us to face the challenges of life. I'm inspired by the story of a woman by the name of Susanna Wesley. 
You probably have never heard of Susanna Wesley, but you may have heard of her two sons. She had 19 children. 19 children. So you can imagine her life. Her husband was gone a lot. They had economic difficulties. Several of her children died. Her two sons became pretty famous. One was John Wesley, who was this incredible revivalist that turned the world upside down in his day, started the Methodist movement, the Wesleyan movement, um, led thousands, tens of thousands of people to Christ, and then his brother Charles Wesley, who wrote a lot of hymns that we still sing today. Susanna Wesley, her life was hard, difficult, two of her houses burned down, several of her children died, 19 children. She needed to recharge herself. And so what she would do, she had an apron, and she told her children, when I put my apron over my head, that means I'm spending some quiet time with God, so don't bother me. So Susanna Wesley would take her apron and she would throw it over her head and, the, and sit in her chair. And when the kids saw mom with the apron over her head, they knew, don't bother mom, she's spending some recharging time with God. Let me tell you, with 19 kids, two of them that turned out to be world changers, I think she did pretty good. So some of you need to find your apron. I don't know, I'm not saying you throw it over your head, it could work for you. But you need to find your ability to say, when I'm doing this, no one bother me, because this is my quiet time, this is my recharge time. This is my time in front of God. This is my time to do what Mary did, to just recharge myself in his presence. Number four, and lastly, what Mary did, that one thing, it helps you hear the still, small voice that adjusts your life. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah ends up in a cave. There's an earthquake. There's a tornado of sorts. There's fire. And the Bible says, and God was not in it. And then there was this imperceptible whisper. And the Bible says, and God was in it. And Elijah came to the mouth of the cave, and God spoke to him through the whisper. I'm wondering how many of us here are missing the whisper because the volume is so high, because the chaos is so intense, because the noise is so loud that we miss the whisper. I believe that God the Father is continually speaking to you. I believe that God loves you. You say, well, how do, how do you know that God is talking to me? Because I'm a father. And I can't imagine not speaking to my children on a regular basis. How much more our Heavenly Father speaks to us through His Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The problem is that oftentimes we're not listening because there's other noise that's drowning out the voice and the whisper of God. I believe that there are some people here today that unless you do the one thing, the one thing, 
unless you urgently say, I'm going to bring balance to my life, I'm going to find that quiet spot where I sit, where I take a deep breath, I acknowledge that God is God, where I allow God to speak to me through His Word, where I open up my Bible, where I worship, where I pray, where I listen to God, that some of you, some of you are headed to physical disaster, relational chaos, and mental unhealth. One thing is needed. One thing is needed. Some of you know that I, I'm the president of a university called Moody Bible Institute. It's a great school. The first message I ever preached there in chapel, I preached out of this passage. And I told the students in this packed out auditorium, If you're not careful, you can get your first button bad, and then all the other buttons after that, what happens? They're misaligned. Never happened to you, you get up, you button your shirt, you walk out and someone says, what's, going, what's up with you? And you look and you're like, oh, because if you get the first button wrong, then all the other buttons are misaligned. But if you get the first button right, then all the other buttons align. Mary got the first button right and all the other buttons. That's why Jesus said only one thing is necessary because if you get the first thing right, it has a ripple effect to all the other areas. <laughs> 